Hello and welcome to this edition of Fishology. For those of you who may be new here in Fishology, we go in-depth on the Marlins in advanced stats. We look into deep dive and some analytical stats that maybe fly under the radar for most fans. And of course, joining me, we have Eli Sussman and our chief fishologist, Louis Weiss. Guys, how are you feeling for this episode looking at the Marlins uh, players post All-Star break, comparing it to uh, the first half of the year? I'm really optimistic that this could be our best show yet, not just for content reasons, but Lewis is dealing with a bit of a sore throat. So that's going to be his biological warning when he's droning on a little bit too long to keep him in check, I guess. Um, and all serious, I hope you're doing well, Lewis, in all seriousness. Yeah, um, this is going to try. I'm going to try to have my Jordan flu game tonight. So we'll see. Uh, well, we, we could start off with, with uh, the Marlins version of Michael Jordan at least for the second half, and that is Mr. Sandy Alcantara. Um, when you look at his first half, the second half, it is just a tale of just two different players, two different um, just just ways that he is performing. Um, you look at the first half in 114 innings, um, a 4.72 ERA, um, a whip of 1.251, um, strikeouts per nine was seven, um, and then you look at his second half of the year, dropping all the way down to 2-7 ERA in 50 innings. Um, his strikeouts per nine all the way up to 8.5, whip even lower to a 1.0. Just a completely different player than he was in the first half. Um, he's playing like the Cy Young Award winner last season. This is what the Marlins have hoped for for Sandy for the entire season. And now they're finally getting it in the second half. Um, Eli? Just what are the Marlins getting now with Sandy in the second half? Just how well is he performing now? It, this is closer to the version of himself that we expected. What I want to start off with is something that Lewis brought up to me a couple of days ago, which I think is a, a fair way to look at this, where I don't. it's not necessarily black and white that all of a sudden he's fixed or that necessarily he was terrible in the first half. What we've seen is that when you look at the fielder independent pitching and you look under the hood in terms of the strikeouts he's getting, the walks he's preventing, the home runs he's preventing, there's a surprising similarities between the first half and the second half. And the first, for his season overall, he has a FIP of what, 3.96, which is slightly better than league average. But if you look at what he's done in these games since the break, it's now seven starts as we're recording this entering uh, Wednesday. The FIP has actually gone up to 4.21. So mm. he's done that despite allowing, mainly because he's allowing more homers. There were things he was already doing well and just not getting great results in the first half. The main thing was his control was probably as good as we've seen it, really. He's been limiting walks at an amazing rate dating back to June. So that's been a part of him even through some you know poor outcomes early on in the year. And that's still part of what he's doing since then. Um, most notably having a couple of games in here where he didn't walk any batters at all. So with him, it still doesn't feel to me 100% like last year in the Cy Young winning campaign. The main thing being that the changeup is still not an amazing put-away pitch that it was last year. By most measures, his changeup last year was as good as anybody's in terms of the overall run value. Nobody hit his changeup for a home run all of last year, and he's using it just as much this year. Uh, so the usage is the same. 
It's just the, the velo on that pitch is down a little bit. The location of the pitch hasn't been quite as good. The late movement on that pitch hasn't been quite as nasty. And that's still not totally there, but he has, he's worked around that. I think he has finally recognized that this deep into the year that he's, that his changeup is not going to be, uh, it's not going to solve all his issues for him when he runs into issues with other stuff. Instead, we've seen him really utilize his fastball, I think, in, in more effective ways where he uses it both on the top of the zone, he uses it in the back door against right-handed batters to get more called strikes. So I think he's made some interesting adjustments, um, not fully returning to form, um, but overall, like you still see much more good than bad out of him recently. Yeah. Um, Lewis, also with Sandy, I was mentioning his strikeouts per nine. Um, Sandy's never been really that guy to give you 12, 13, 14 strikeouts a game. But just to see that number increase by a whole strikeout going from seven to around eight and a half, almost nine, just do you see Sandy the way he's pitching in the second half of the season? Maybe you come differently. Is he looking, locating pitches differently? Is he looking to get more whiffs, more guys uh, uh, to strike out compared to maybe it's just more weak contact and, and get guys out and maybe the other traditional ways? I don't, I mean, the, the metrics may illustrate that he's pitching differently, but I still think his MO is kind of just like, let's work deep into games. And I think if you look since July 14th, which is the end, which is the start of the quote unquote second half or post all-star break schedule of games that we have um, as we kind of wind down there, he, he kind of continues to just do what he always does. And that's just efficiently give you innings. And like, he gives you, and so there, so the, I did this search today on Fangraphs, and I made like a little spreadsheet, and I saw so there's been 149 pitchers since July 14th. That's the first day of games in the second half of the season after the All Star break to have thrown at least 20 innings. Um, Alcantara and Luis Castillo, the Mariners, are the only two pitch are the two pitchers with the most innings thrown in that span. So they've each thrown 50 innings in that span over seven over seven starts each. And if you average that out, that's pretty Sandy Alcantara-ish. It's like a little bit more than seven innings a start. It's about seven point, you know, one. Um, if you really want to get pedantic about the the math of that, but he's I I don't necessarily. I mean, the approach maybe is a little more all or nothing. Like we saw that game against the Yankees where he struck out ten, but he threw one hundred and sixteen pitches and he went nine innings. He was. He was still kind of, you know, his usual self. You know, 116 pitch complete game isn't like insane, but it maybe raises a few more eyebrows in this kind of this era where we kind of baby baby pitchers. Um, but I mean, he's he's kind of, you know, he's if he's either not striking you out or he's you know continuing to get ground balls at the rate that he does, he's become a little bit more susceptible, as Eli alluded to, with the home run, and that manifested more. No more than in August so far this month, where he, you know, two of the six games he's had in his career of allowing at least three home runs have come this month alone. And, you know, one of those was the Braves game. I understand that. Or I believe the other one was the Houston, it was the game against the Rangers. And um, he just had a start recently where he did that. Um, a lot of that is just because, you know, like maybe it's just the sinker. He is, he's leaving more stuff up in the zone. He's out walking a lot of guys and, um, he by fit, um, he is among the luckier pitchers in this sample too. He's believed the 
14th or 15th most lucky pitcher when it comes to ERA to FIP differential. And a lot of that is just because most of his fly balls are turning into home runs. I mean, his home run to fly ball rate is 22%. If that's not the highest in the majors during the span, it's pretty much up there. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's necessarily altered anything in his pitch mix. I mean, his changeup really hasn't been what it was last year. He's still kind of sequencing similarly as far as just the dispersal of pitches. But, you know, maybe it's just, um, you know, he's, you know, the home run bites him more, but he's still kind of giving you that length. It's just a, the results don't look the same. And the way I kind of see it, too, is his FIP is now more in line with his ERA. And that maybe, you know, we kind of said at the outset of the season he was getting, un, quote unquote, unlucky. Maybe just time, father time is kind of showing everything to kind of come together closely. And maybe he's more of just a four ERA pitcher for this season than. He was a guy who flirted with, a, you know, a sub two at parts last year. And that's just maybe more of what we're going to see. Um, because I think the differential is ERA and FIP is like point, what is it, point one five at this point now. It's like 396 to 411. So it's not yeah. not that far off. I think he's more of, um, you know, he's not striking guys out more, but he is giving up more home runs. And that's just a product of maybe just the fly balls. And the bad would suggest, too, it's more bad it's more bad luck than good luck because his bad of is sub 260. It's like 257, 258. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think that this will normalize, but to be fair, um, yeah, he's just giving up a little bit more home runs. This isn't something that we normally see with him. So I don't yeah. know. It's an interesting stretch. It's like a mixed bag of success, although it's still his standard bulk success. Yeah, overall, I'll be encouraged when he's getting ground balls at about sixty percent rate recently. Um, that, that's going to allow you to overperform your FIP. It's when most of the contact you have is staying in the infield the way that it is. So that's a pretty big key to me. Um, yeah, with him, but yeah, he's still working deep into games. He's on track to potentially lead the majors in innings pitched or finish right near the very top of that. So, all things considered, it's he's still. He's not last year's version of himself, but there's a lot of similarities to the overall pitcher that we've seen the last six years overall in Miami. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Lewis, and you mentioned really quickly his home runs. Um, does that worry you a little more to the uh, towards when we get to the ending of, of the year? Because in the first half, <clears throat> he had 11 home runs, and now he's given up nine home runs in, in about half the innings and about half of those games played. Does that worry you um, at all? For Sandy going into the, the the rest of this season, he's giving up a nine so far since the second half compared to just 11 in that first half of the season. I mean, he doesn't necessarily have a track record of it. I think, you know, if the league continues to figure him out and he doesn't, you know, find a way to maybe put more hitters away, that he may allow more home runs just because his reliance is so much on ground balls. And, you know, Eli touched on the ground balls. He's got like the fifth lowest ground ball or the fifth highest ground ball rate in the majors actually since the start of the second half. So he's, you know, he's kind of just, it's weird. It's like two of the three pieces that make him successful and the three primarily are, you know, I would say a bat average to about above average ability to put hitters away with strikeouts, the suppression of the long balls, which he's done for the majority of his career. And for the first half, he had kind of kept on par with where he was for his career um, and his ability to generate ground balls is just about as good as anybody else. It, the home runs being a bigger concern, absolutely. 
um, them coming with more frequency could scare you when you do consider that he just doesn't put hitters away. But then you also have to kind of remember that the stuff is such that he can kind of maybe work around it. And his command is very good to where I think he can. So it's, it's a sequencing thing too. Like if he, you know, location is kind of key in these instances. And if he's not, you know, hitting his spots and we've seen him a couple of times this year, that some of the home runs he's given up, the one that sticks out to me is the 95 mile an hour sinker in that game against the Braves earlier this year where he was coming off the bicep tendonitis and then Acuna kind of took him deep. You know, that's just maybe location. I don't know if maybe workload is influencing this at all, but, um, you know, I'm I'm concerned, but I'm not that concerned because I think that his he's done what he's done long enough where he's kind of been this weird anomaly of stuff not, you know, equaling, you know, putting hitters away with the prolificity that we see most other power pitchers do it. But um, I think if this trend were to continue into, say, next year, then it would maybe be a problem. I think right now, no, because I just think this is just one of those years that's more akin to maybe like 2019 where he just wasn't who we have come to know and appreciate over the last four or so years. Um, you know, it could just, it's just a down year. It's just a post Cy Young kind of blues thing. But that being said, he's still, you know, what on pace to be about a four win pitcher. So for the money you're paying him, um, you know, you're going to have the, cons- you know, the concerns are there, but I don't think they're like, they're at like a three or a four right now. And, you know, if, you know, this trend of long balls continues into 2024, that's when maybe you need to start raising some red flags about the way he's kind of going about approaching hitters. Um, yeah. So finishing off there with Sandy, um, Eli with, with Sandy going into the rest of the season, you already had a couple um, complete games. What, what, how do you see Sandy faring off in the rest of the schedule? Do you see it more of the Sandy we've seen the second half, or do you think maybe he'll, he might go back to what we see in the first half, or is this just how Sandy's going to be for the rest of the season? Yeah, I would go with the boring answer that I think he's just going to play up to his season averages moving forward with this. Like, we just When you look at some of the starts that he had in the first half, yeah, a lot of it was kind of intangible in terms of him having him clustering base runners at the wrong time. And that led to some of the kind of unlucky results. Like when he would struggle, it would all happen in the exact same inning, right? And he would allow a crooked number right there that would lead to more runs than you'd ordinarily expect given the overall quality of his outing. Uh, so that's why I don't put a whole lot of stock into the first half run prevention struggles because uh, that just felt a little bit unlucky in terms of the sequencing of when hits and when were happening to him. But this has been a really extended stretch in terms of limiting the walks. That's right up there with any three-month stretch of his career in terms of every single time it's two walks or less. And more often it's one walk or less than these starts. So I guess I think the second half version is a little bit more indicative of uh, who he is than the, the first half. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're going to go transition from Sandy, someone who's had just an amazing second half of the season, to someone who is on the opposite end of that spectrum, had a really amazing first half 
of the year with a 329 ERA, a 321 FIP, to now um, going looking at how his second half has fared um, in in 28 innings in the second half of the season. Jesus Suzardo has a 739 ERA and a 673 FIP in those 28 innings since the All-Star break. Just a completely different pitcher than what the Marlins have seen in the first half. He is reaching a career high in innings um, pitched this season, but this is really a completely different pitcher than what the Marlins have had in the first half. Um, Lewis, talk to us about Luzardo. What is going on with him, and are there any advanced stats or analytical um, points that really make up a reason to why Luzardo is struggling as much as he is? I mean, he's getting absolutely clobbered. Um, there's no dancing around that. Like, if you look at the opponent slash against him in the second half, he's faced 135 hitters, and they're hitting a collective 322, 393, 620 against him. That's oh. like MVP level Juan Gonzalez, like in the in the mid 90s, <laughs> like steroid era offensive numbers. It's Otani esque right now. I mean, if you really want to. Get, have like more of a modern comparison and maybe even Acuna too. Like he's, but this, this, the oddity of that is he's just con- kind of continuing to do what he normally does. And that's just miss bats. He's averaging still about 10 K's per nine. So he's, and he's walking on average four and a half batters per nine. So he's more of that three true outcomes um, type of player transposed to the mound where you're still going to get – he's always kind of had that suspect command because he just throws so hard and he's a lefty falling off to the side a lot. But I don't know. It's, he – you know, the barrel rate's not terrible. The hard hit rate is horrendous. I mean, it's fourth worst of the 149 pitchers with at least 20 innings in the second half. Like, it's – I don't know. It, it could be the innings kind of creeping up on him because I believe what did he throw last year? Somewhat, something like 100 innings. And, you know, he quote-unquote broke out and – for the most part, he did, but he, you know, was kind of like AJ Puck, where he really didn't have like an extensive workload in the years preceding that uh, 2022. And now that he's thrown more innings than ever, maybe that's starting to wear on him a little bit. Um, I mean, we spoke to him. God, was it? It was after his first start of this month, and he told us that he felt fine and that his body was in a good position, position, and mentally he was okay. But the results would um, indicate otherwise. I mean, he's. You know, he's been bad, um, but you still kind of see some things there with the continued ability to miss bats that would suggest, all right, like there's something here that suggests that, you know, he'll turn this around. But he, to me, he's a very streaky pitcher. Like he like he had that game in Seattle, I think it was mid-June, where he gave up about five or six runs in four or so innings. And then he went on about a four-start stretch where he was very good. And... You know, even more that was highlighted by those seven sh- innings against the Cardinals on who was at the fourth of July. Like he was tremendous. Like, and then you kind of just you know you had three runs here, four runs there, and now it's kind of just um, spiraled into this stretch where you know he's allowing you know hitters and OPS over a thousand against him, and that's a you know that's six starts. Like that's about a month's worth of games. You know, pitchers can have a bad month, whatever the case may be, but. You know, he's had really only one good start in that span, and that was that Colorado game. But other than that, it's just been, like, been hard to watch. I mean, his – if you in on an ERA to FIP basis, it's very similar to Sandy's. ERA is 413, FIP is 393. Sandy's, what, 411 to 396. 
So they've kind of been about the same pitcher. Sandy's just giving you more length. So he sustained quote unquote better production over a longer stretch of innings and he's leaving the league in batter space. Um, I don't know. Lazardo's Lazardo is very volatile to me because when he when he gets in trouble, I mean, what we saw in against Houston, he gave up three home runs in the first inning. Um, you know, velocity on the mound also equals velocity off the bat for the most part. It's very seldom that you have a guy who throws hard and can and generate consistently weak contact. And we've seen it with him that he's getting when he's getting hit, he's getting absolutely destroyed. I mean, if the league is slugging Babe Ruth's career slugging percentage against you, then over a month's worth of time, then like there's a problem. And you know, I don't. As far as pitch mix goes, I mean, Eli, like, what have you seen that leads you to believe that like there's just something in how he's going about hitters that's just making for this prolonged stretch of? I guess this is more of what we saw in 2021. Yeah, this feels more like a in pretty intangible slump with him. What I mean by that is there's no smoking gun. He has mentioned it at least in one of these post-game pressers about just not having the feel for his slider, and that is his most important pitch going back to um, especially last year, and it continues to be. That's a pitch where he needs it to go from balls to strike, strike to ball. He needs it to look like it's in the zone and then dip out and also throw it close enough to the zone that he gets – hitters to chase it and competitively go after it i think you can look at most of these starts and see that it's just not impacting hitters the same way he's just not getting quite as many chases on that pitch when it goes down and in to right-handed batters and low and away to um lefties like it's just not it's not quite deceiving hitters uh the same way as it was early in the year fatigue might have a role in that in terms of just repeating his delivery and making sure that He's in a position where the ball is deceptive coming out of his hands. I think that is part of it that's impacting him here. He talked about uh, the Astros, that one inning. I, I wonder what sort of – when we mentioned Lozardo, I believe we did a pod mentioning him early in the year about how he was so awful the third time through the, the order and how he was a really impressive pitcher except for that. Both him and Sandy were struggling with it at the same time. And that's what makes these struggles so unusual is that it's not – well, he's having enough trouble just getting to the third time through the order and staying in the game long enough. He's getting shelled immediately in several of these outings, which is uncharacteristic of him. So that speaks to me about a, a guy who's not – his delivery is not deceiving guys the same way that it was early in the year. But you could also give some credit just to the opponents being prepared for what they're going to see and – some of the patterns potentially that he's falling into. I mean, Astros trash can or not, you know, they have this well-earned reputation of just being a very prepared team. As we're recording this right now, they had another big first inning, putting up several runs on an opposing team. They uh, they don't need to see you multiple times to get a feel for you. They're just tr traditionally a very prepared team coming into it. And that can be immensely frustrating for a pitcher uh, when you feel like you're executing your pitches and still having trouble with it what we've seen um one was kyle tucker the other left-handed batter i saw it and during the first half of the season lazardo only allowed one homer to a lefty the entire first half he's already allowed a couple of those in the second half so Corey seager was the other one so seager Ooh. and kyle tucker um like those are just amazing players though so so I, I think it's a lot of things going on here including just the quality of the competition that he's facing in this sample 
And it's a tough spot for the team to be in where they really can't afford to give him a breather and take him out of the rotation, especially when the velocity is pretty close to what you'd normally expect from him. It's still in the high 90s most of the time with his fastball. Um, so there's not like the, the glaring sign of wearing down that you sometimes see with guys that are not used to pitching this deep into the season. Yeah, it's a frustrating one, and the team just doesn't really have much of a choice than to just like, keep running him out there and, and hope that he makes adjustments. One yeah. thing I will say, too, is I don't know if this is just me reading baseball savants pitch types and, like, the results on those, but do you think it's time that he just kind of does away with that sinker? Because for the most part, he really hasn't had a lot of prolonged success with that pitch. And he's, I mean, I, I know he started throwing a cutter this season and the sample is so small against it. It's about only like 11 plate appearances ending on the pitch, but he hasn't allowed a hit on it. And then I look at the sinker and hitters are batting almost 360 on it. And the expected sets are not all that much better. But like, if you look at that pitch, it's consistently kind of been like a sub par offering from him. And, you know, I don't know if maybe like eliminating that hurts him but he also like i like his changeup a lot and he doesn't throw it enough um i like the slider i've you know a lot of the times when he's gotten hit too that slider has hung in the zone and it's not and for a guy who throws 96 to 98 it's a pretty slow slider i mean you want variance and pitch velos but it's you know 83 to 85 it doesn't really have it it's got a lot of sharp bite at the end but it, it's not thrown hard enough to where you're not going to run into a lot of hard contact on it, but the sinker is just like that pitch to me is like, like, wow. Like, it, I mean, it was better last year, but this year it's like hitter. I mean, hitters are feasting on that pitch. They have Luis Arise's batting average. I think 358 on that pitch against him. So like, I don't know if maybe that's like something that maybe the, the ops team will look at this off season and be like, all right, like, like his track record suggests that this pitch may just kind of like, have worn out its welcome because it just doesn't look like it's an effective offering at this point. Yeah, I don't think he even used it in his last outing from from what I can see. So that's the other, I, I do agree that that seems to be like a weak link in it. And yet even when he kind of makes that adjustment, even when he's now toying around with this cutter uh, potentially as being a part of his mix, like it's still not it didn't make a difference ultimately in his most recent flop that he had. So it is yeah, it is like there's a really complicated issue that he's uh, having right now. And uh, he's trying to make adjustments. Um, and the Marlins have tried to make him as comfortable as possible by pairing him exclusively with Nick Fortes. He's always throwing to the same guy, the one who had a lot of success with him, of course, in the first half of the season and most of last year as well. So there's nothing really new when it comes to, to that either. Um, but other than that, I mean, the next couple of matchups, what, he's about to face the Padres as we're recording this. And then um, the next matchup after that would be, well, against the Dot, against the, whoever they play. I don't know. Rays? Um, I'm not, the Rays, yes. The Rays. Ooh, that can be. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate too much uh, on that with him. But, he, I mean, either way, as long as he just stays available the rest of the year, this has been a, a, an important stepping stone for him to at least – be able to make these starts every scheduled start. He's the only guy in this rotation that has made every single scheduled start. Even Sandy got scratched one time. Braxton didn't start the year in the rotation. For Lizardo to at least stay in his normal routine throughout the entire year for a guy that had this well-earned reputation for not being durable, I mean, that's been the silver lining to it.
Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, Lewis, um, as we're finishing up on Luzardo, I'm looking up um, some of his stats on fan graphs. You're really looking up his second half. Um, there are really like two numbers that really stand out to me in terms of just how he's been performing this second half. Um, you could go um, his walks per nine going from 2.22 in the first half to almost doubling to 4.5, just showing how many walks he's been giving up per nine innings. And then another one will be his BABIP. The BABIP he's giving up to players is 370, which is almost kind of like Mike Trout-esque numbers uh, as a hitter. Just when I tell you these numbers of 4.5 walks per nine and his BABIP, um, as a pitcher going up these guys is a three seven compared to three fifteen in the first half. What does that tell you about Luzardo or or maybe key aspects of his second half pitching that, that have maybe faltered to the wayside in terms of his walks per nine and, and, and where his bad is at compared to the beginning of the year? I think that just kind of gets back to this idea. I think that just gets back to that this idea of general fatigue because mm-hmm. You look at the FIP, and it's not that much better. Now, I believe his XFIP may be slightly better, just as the way that Sandy's is about a run below what his, his FIP is, his actual FIP is. But, um, again, I just think he's just, you know, when he's missing with his pit, with his slider, and he's kind of – and listen, maybe my hypothesis about doing away with the sinker wasn't a good thing because he – like it, it, I'm looking at his pitch breakdown now, and he's not throwing it that much anyway. He's still kind of getting rattled around. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're allowing a 310 Babbitt, you're you're either in the midst of some bad luck, or you're just kind of just you're just struggling. And I, I would I would be more concerned with him because we've seen with Lazardo that he's had periods of his command abandoning him, and I have, you know, if you look at film, maybe that's abandoned it his mechanics have somewhat abandoned themselves um but i i don't know i mean like he he had that bad first inning against houston and mm-hmm. then everything else was just, i felt like that just, that just felt like a culmination of just him pitching poorly so I, I can't really assess anything beyond that i mean i just think that he's just you know he's just going through one of those bad periods and that's coming from a guy who i thought you know was saying he was going to be like a dark horse cy young candidate and now yeah. he's kind of sitting here like you know Floating with a league average ERA, and I don't know. He, it, it's, you know, it'd be nice to see him turn around. I mean, Blake Snell to me is literally the same pitcher that he is, although he's having a lot better results. Um, you know, high walks and high strikeout totals, but I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I think, you know, it's not encouraging that he's not pitching good against good opponents. Although I that start against the Rangers wasn't terrible. I mean, it was still six innings of three run ball. That's not all that bad, but at the end of the day, like when you know you haven't thrown this many innings before and you're going up against better competition and you're not performing, it, that's something that suggests that you know, like you know, he could be a key cog in why they maybe don't go to the playoffs in the second half because he's has struggled and there's been very little light through the darkness that is that prolonged period of uh, poor performance. Yeah. Um, and with Luzardo, again, looking at more of his stats, uh, home runs per nine up from 0.99 first half to 2.89 in the second half. And you mentioned his ex-FIP. His ex-FIP on the year is a 3.74, which is just about um, a little higher than what his regular FIP is and, and ERA 
Um, and Eli, when talking about Luzardo, uh, we mentioned Sandy and how you think he'll just return almost kind of to form or, or what we expect from him in this season, how he's been doing. Um, and with Luzardo, do you, the way how just he's been performing the second half, is there a way for him to go back to the pitcher we saw in the first half? Or is that almost all right, almost a lost cause or just taking someone who, who can maybe get a four ERA or anything like that? This is now an extended period of mediocrity that he hasn't had since late 2021. When he was going through it in 2021, the Marlins weren't playing for anything. So there was just no weight on his shoulders, even though he was struggling at a similar clip in August and September of, of that year when he first arrived to Miami. So it's a, it's a different uh, problem for him to face and for him to overcome right here. The only thing I point to is that he has this now pretty lengthy track record of being uh, a far above average pitcher um, prior to this recent slump that he can fall back on. And he's going during a period where I guess all you can point to is that it's a time where the Marlins have had frequent off days. So more often than not, he's going to, have extra rest compared to what you'd ordinarily have when you're if there is any concern about his you know physical well-being i think that can only help the fact that he'll have a little bit more rest than he had for most of his outings during the first half of the season going in between what i mentioned before about how he's struggling from the get-go in some of these starts it's happening early on that's what makes it difficult for the team to protect him like if this was an issue like early in the year where who's running into a wall the third time through the lineup, this is the time of the year, especially when rosters expand, where you can protect him, where you just don't need to push him deep into games. But when he's struggling so much early on, uh, that's, I guess the only thing you could try to do is experiment with having an opener in front of him in some situations as well. Um, I, I don't see the team going necessarily in that direction though. So uh, yeah, I would, I'm not as confident in him as I am with, with Sandy in terms of what to expect moving forward, mainly just because this is a foreign situation for him when you take all the factors into account. Yeah. So that's going to be that for um, Jesus Cesardo. And we're going to go ahead and talk about another pitcher from the Marlins and this one newly acquired in the trade deadline. So for this one, um, do you guys want to go more his post um, first half, second half, or maybe – his time with the Mets and compared to the Marlins with David Robertson. How do you guys want to go about this? Because it, it's it's kind of tricky in terms of it. You look at um, his time with the Marlins, eight innings. His ERA is a 7.88. His FIP is a 6.64. Um, just not what the Marlins uh, wanted when trading him. I know Alex Carver will talk about this forever if he could and, and those uh, players that they traded away, but uh, how, how would you guys like to go about David Robertson? There's not a big difference between those two mm-hmm. areas to divide it just because he only made four appearances four. between the all-star break and the trade. The, the Mets weren't using him very often. A lot of that because the Mets were terrible and they weren't in a position to actually <laughs> use a closer to, to finish off games during that span. So that's, that's part of it as well. Yeah. With him, um, it's it is such a small sample that it's hard to really reach any strong conclusions about it. We now have there's three notable screw ups that he had. The one against the Phillies, I think, is which was his second appearance with the team, and that ended up turning a a, a sandy win that they were in line for into a heartbreaking loss. 
Then again against the Phillies in that same series, he allowed a go-ahead home run, and the team was able to overcome that in extra innings. And then most recently uh, against the Dodgers, where allowing three runs in an inning, um, a combination of uh, bad control and also just um, balls in play going against them in that aspect to, to reach us to this point. But it is fair to scrutinize him just because the standard is so high. Like he was a lot of ways you could slice it. He was maybe the best reliever that was actually moved at the deadline in terms of the first half performance, then ERA in the low twos and a lot of success in high leverage situations, especially given his long track record, his career heading into this year. Like, yeah, he held himself to a very high standard. So even having a month like he has had since then, um, in a small sample, like that's notable because that's kind of unusual for him to uh, to struggle at that type of level. I mean, what I would just point to is there. It does seem to be a gener- uh, his his control is not quite as sharp as it was. He is getting himself into bad counts. There have been a couple times where uh, non-competitive walks are extending innings, or they are just putting him in poor count situations where it makes him a little bit more predictable. And then I do remember. Uh, that very first screw up, it may have been against the Phillies when he allowed a, a game winning home run to uh, Nick Castellanos. And it, uh, I, I hadn't actually noticed it at the time, but he had this like really funny reaction to this moment as well. Like he knew immediately that he had screwed up, like doubles over in exasperation when Castellanos squares up that ball and uh, hits it out for a game deciding home run. So with him, when you look at his pitch location throughout the year with his slider, he throws both a curveball and a slider. He has had some instances this year where he leaves that slider over the middle of the plate, and that just makes it uh, really hittable. Like That's not necessarily a strength of his game. He wants guys to chase his breaking ball below the zone, and when he leaves it towards the middle of the plate, it is a very hittable pitch with him. So I would chalk most of this up to just – getting into bad counts and then even when he is throwing strikes his command isn't as precise as it uh as it once was and that's yeah that's leading to some pretty crucial errors that to this point have made him a a negative contributor to this team so far despite all that they gave up to get him yeah you kind of took the words right out of my mouth as far as the command not being there um and you also have to remember too like robertson as great as he has been hasn't always even been a closer I remember he closed in a pinch a few times for the Yankees in prior years. Um, and I believe he closed primarily with the White Sox. But even before that, you know, he was kind of like a middle reliever, seventh, eighth inning guy. And we also have to remember, too, he doesn't throw 98. He was never one of those high octane guys. He was always kind of a location first, you know, good cutter guy that he. He got by with, you know, he balanced command and missing bats. And he was a very rare example of that in the bullpen, especially because he doesn't didn't never necessarily had the overwhelming stuff. Um, it, you know, to see him walk anybody is strange because his mechanics, if you watch footage of him from 2008 when he was, you know, a baby in the big leagues and you watch him now, his delivery is just about the same. Like he's kind of held – He's maintained a very almost like Mario Rivera-esque ability to be very consistent with his delivery. And the problem is, is when you're throwing 92 to 93 and you're missing and you're going to, you know, it's going to hurt. The funny thing is, too, the Marlins really haven't 
been hurt too bad by way of him not being great because they're six and two in those games that he has pitched in. To be fair, one of them was an 11 to three blowout that he just kind of needed to get some work in against the Dodgers on Friday. But at the end of the day, um, it is concerning too that, you know, as great as Robertson is, that the Marlins kind of initially before the Berger and Bell acquisitions were banking on him as like, He's going to be the savior to an inconsistent bullpen. And then, you know what? The Fernando Rodney comparisons are apt. Although, if you look at Rodney's first eight games with the Marlins, they were actually a lot better. He gave up about three runs in those in those appearances, and Robertson's given up about seven or eight, seven earned and eight total. Um, I mean, I think he'll figure something out. I do need to remind other people, though, that there was a time a couple of years ago when he was just about out of the big leagues entirely. So, because I believe he signed a two-year deal with the Phillies, he pitched a, a few games, had Tommy John, and then he kind of went away and everyone's like, is David Robertson done? And he comes back and he kind of, he's had, you know, almost like a second life. Of course, revived by the Rays, and then he returns to the Philly and is great the next year. But I still think there's a lot of volatility with a guy who doesn't pow overpower you. And he he's a guy who gets by on guile and command. And the thing is, is like his ERA to FIP is very much in that ballpark. You could, you know, you can surmise that he's his struggles are just kind of bringing his ERA closer to what his FIP suggests he's been for a majority of the year. And maybe he ends more as a 3-5 guy and rather than a, you know, a sub-2 guy that he, we've seen him be at various points throughout his career. So, I don't know. It's concerning. Um, I don't know if I want to change closer yet because like Puck and his Puck has seemingly done better in these quote unquote lower leverage situations, you know, getting it out here to end an inning and then starting an inning fresh. And, you know, the ninth inning, you know, the, the troubles of the ninth inning don't necessarily phase him, but that just goes to show you, you know, closing is a different animal. I mean, good example, if you're a Marlins fan, you remember Kyle Bearclaw was electric in the seventh and the eighth inning, striking out, you know, 13, 14 guys per nine. But then when you throw him into the ninth inning and we even saw that at, at early points with C-Shake, too, your equilibrium kind of gets thrown off. It's, you know, it's more make or break than anything else. Um, you know, Robertson's experience, I think, will prove maybe to be better for the Marlins than what we've got for the most part with those guys. But I still think that there is volatility. You also have to remember he's 38. And he's been in the big leagues forever. So there's um, the track record, but then there's also the fact that he's just so old and – you know, by baseball standards, that um, this could this could you know fall and hit hit the Marlins like a you know rake in the face kind of situation. But you know, I think he's been so good for so long that part of me is still holding out and thinks that he'll be he'll be fine in the long run. But they do need him to need, be better than he has been for sure. Yeah, and with Robertson, the way he's been performing. Um, Let's say he might he gives another performance like he did um, in his last outing. Um, how would you guys view him the rest of the way, or maybe how is, how what the length of his leash? Does he have a short leash? Does he have a relatively long one? Just because he was traded for and the players that they gave up for him. Um, at what point is, is there, or at any point, is there a way to go? Um, Marlins maybe new closer, put someone else in there. Or if, no matter what David Robertson puts out, he will be the closer for the Marlins. 
what I think is clear is that he's not the best reliever on this team. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if there's a path for him to be it unless Tanner Scott falls off because Scott has been amazing this year. Um, and the reason the context behind his most recent Robertson's most recent blown save is that he was pitching in the eighth inning because they wanted to use Tanner Scott against the best hitters in the Dodgers lineup in the ninth inning, assuming that Robertson could get through the eighth. So it's already clear that Robertson's not number one in this bullpen. You can even make the case as to whether him or Andrew Nardi is the one you'd rather have behind Scott in the second most important situations. That itself is already um, relatively clear. So I am hopeful and I would be supportive if they've reached a point where Scott simply is the guy that faces the toughest hitters in those late situations. And that I, I don't think at the moment that Robertson is the full-time closer even now, that it'll be a situation where they recognize that Scott has just been so terrifically consistent throughout this year that uh, he will be the one that they, that when they have an opportunity to choose between the two in particular matchups, that Scott will be the one that simply faces the better hitters, especially if they hit from the left side. Other than that, there's just not room to drop him much farther in the pecking order than that. The reason why they got him is because they were thin on reliable right-handed relievers, and they still are. Uh, the Jorge Lopez trade has not panned out much better than the Robertson experience so far. Obviously, Dylan Flora was traded to get Lopez. Oscar Brazabon is hurt. We don't know if he's coming back this year. Matt Burns is out. Matt Barnes is out for the year. Um, JT Chagua is about to come back from his injury, but he wasn't pitching particularly well before then. There's just they don't have good alternatives, especially when it comes to guys from the right side. So with Robertson, there's enough to like about his stuff and his experience, and that I think he's going to continue to receive important opportunities as long as I think everybody should be on the same page. That Tanner Scott is the one who, when we get super late into this year, into absolute must-win game scenarios, I think even Skip Schumacher is going to be, he's going to go down with his very best. And his very best is Tanner Scott. Yeah, same question uh, to you, Lewis. Just how do you view Robertson now in this bullpen? Uh, first, when he was getting, when he was traded to Miami, it seemed like maybe he was maybe the guy, the right-handed um, reliever for the Marlins to now where he's fallen out, out almost out the pecking order for a closer compared to the Tanner Scott and maybe even Andrew Nardi. Just how do you view Robertson along the way? I mean, I'll just kind of pivot back to what I said before and, and just kind of say that I think Robertson's experience over everybody else will give him a little bit more of a leash. That being said, you know, they've given how um, fragile the pitching staff is as a whole right now. They don't really have a lot of room to make mistakes. I think that, say, tonight, um, when we're recording this on Tuesday, if the Marlins have a lead in the ninth, he will be the guy to get the ninth inning. Tanner Scott is your best is your best reliever, but even then, we remember that he was terrible as a closer last year, and a lot of that was because of one of the things that has plagued Robertson in his early Marlins tenure, though not to the degree of uh that it did Scott who did this over a longer sample and that's the lack of command. And if that abandons itself and we've seen that he has, uh, Scott has been susceptible to that, then, you know, there may need to be a change. The problem is, is that at the beginning of the season, Skip said that the closer, the role was going to be closer by committee. And so that would suggest the fluidity was going to be there, that there would be a myriad of guys getting opportunities. The only reason we've really seen that is because Puck kind of lost that role. 
And now Robertson, I don't want to say he's in danger of losing it, but I think they're going to have to get creative if this doesn't somewhat sort itself out. I think maybe he has two more outings at most to put things together as a Marlin before they kind of pivot in the direction of maybe giving somebody like Scott a, uh, a shot again, at least at closing, because he hasn't really done it under Skip's tenure. Yeah. And uh, going from Robertson, um, really quickly, we can mention uh, someone I know Eli wanted to talk about, Luis Arias, and just how he's been performing. I could tell you really quickly his first and second half. Uh, first half of the year, 383, 434, 471 for a 905 OPS. Um, to now where he has gone down in every single one of those categories. Uh, obviously, wasn't going to maintain a 383 batting average, but still under 300 maybe for what Luis Arias um has to be given to the Marlins. People may have expected a little more in terms of uh, where he's at. And now 297, um, 319, 435 slugging for a 754 OPS. And probably the most drastic number of them all in terms of how he's fallen off from the first to second half will be that on-base percentage. Going from 434 to a 319, just not walking as much, striking out more than he's walking in the second half and just – 100, I believe 120, 115 point difference um, in terms of his on-base percentage. Um, so, Eli, with Larissa Rice, just what is going uh, on with him with the potential uh, silver slugger batting champ? Man, well, the story of Arise, what makes him a freak is that not only does he make incredible contact with in terms of the frequency of his contact, but he always finds holes in the defense. And that's the thing that is just not, the latter part is not happening over this last month or so, where his Babbitt has gone so far down, as we have a chart on the YouTube version, where it's like almost league average over the last 30 games or so in terms of his Babbitt, down to 309 during this 30-game sample, whereas league average is in the high 290s with him. So I don't think there's really a deep issue here other than it's a little bit of regression to the mean. Uh, he was a guy that was bad at thing in the 400s for a good portion of this year. And nobody really does that over the course of a qualified season, um, especially if they're not hitting the ball hard, which Arise doesn't quite do. So, yeah, this isn't really a surprise. I think most of us saw this coming, that he's probably going to win a batting title. It's just he's not going to flirt with 400 while he's doing it. This could be a career year for him, and yet it still would not – he didn't really have a chance of maintaining what he was doing before. Um, that was – we're still getting the best version of himself. It's just water is kind of finding its level a little bit with this approach. Like this approach still has a relatively – there is a ceiling on what you can accomplish with the skill set that he has. Like you just don't crush the ball, and you certainly – you very rarely hit the ball over the wall. In fact, but I do think the longest home run that he has hit in the big leagues that actually happened during the second half slump is that he did show that he could still launch it 400 feet under very particular circumstances with him. I, I did just want to acknowledge it on the show because that is a clear big split between the first half and the second half. And the Marlins have gotten good offense from a couple of their bats, including the new guys, Josh Bell and Jake Berger. But the reason why the offense as a whole isn't performing at an, a great level consistently one of the big reasons why is simply that Arise has, is no longer superhuman, that he's come back down. So we, uh, I do expect him to, if nothing else, revert to his career averages. I expect him to be better than a 300 hitter the rest of the year. Um, but there are just limitations because he is so aggressive 
He's not going to walk very much. He's not going to hit for much power. So it's going to be, I think it's, he's still a 300 hitter the rest of the year, but it'll be a fairly empty 300 hitter. And I think people should just adjust their expectations accordingly. And uh, you'd hope that Skip manages accordingly as well. And, you know, not relying on him to always save the day and to carry the offense on his own. He's just not really that type of player if you look at the true talent level. A 350 season is going to look like this. It's going to have a two, three, even week period, even a month where a guy is hitting below than what below what the batting average would suggest. So I think that you kind of just have to bear with it and hope that he kind of snaps out of it. I mean, he even had an over 16 stretch at one point and he snapped like a 110 game or so streak of striking out less than two times in a game. And then he did that two times in like a week. Like that's going to happen even for a guy who strikes out less than 50 times a year, most of the time. So I think you kind of just have to bear with it. Um, You know, as you said, Eli, there's limitations in a guy who's not going to hit you 10 home runs in a season. Um, Tony Gwynn went through periods like this, though I don't think he ever struck out as much in, you know, said game span as Arise did. But you kind of just have to, like, let the guy figure it out. I think he's such a pro and he's such a good hitter. He he, He's very very hard on himself to the point where, like, he's almost like that what Jose Altuve was at some point where, like, if he wasn't getting two hits in a game, it was an abject failure for him. And I think Arise maybe, you know, even as fans, we've come to expect that from him. And when he doesn't do that, it's just like, it's weird even when he only gets one hit and you're like getting a hit in the big leagues is hard anyway. But like when he's struggling and he's still hitting 290 over what a month's worth of games now, like you have to be pretty good about who's playing second base for you. The one thing that may concern me though is there have been several times recently where he's gotten hurt, like experienced some injuries mid game. Like we saw yesterday sliding into third base, looked like he did something with his thumb. And I know he was, he left with what they described as stomach cramps. There was even something at, fielding a ball recently, um, running down the line. It looked like he had something with a hamstring a couple of weeks ago. So, like, he may be a little banged up. Like, we haven't even touched on that. Like, we talked about Lazardo being fatigued. Arise may just be, like, you know, he's never played second base for this long over the course of the season. You know, played mostly first base last year. Um, the longer defensive load at a more of a premium position could be kind of catching up with him. Um, though it didn't early, it may be now. And, you know, talk about the shift in the outfield with guys kind of playing them a little bit more shallow. You're going to see that batting average kind of revert to what we've kind of come to see more. Um, you know, if he hits 330, it's still a tremendous year. It's just, you know, like he, even the great hitter struggle, you know, he's going through that, though it's a lot less of a struggle than what most guys would want, you know. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect um, way to end it there with Arias. So talking about all these guys from their first half to the second half, really looking at their splits, um, a lot of different ways, some positives, some negatives, but all look to be hopefully in better shape by the time this next series rolls around. So that's going to do it for Physiology. For myself, Daniel, for Eli, for Lewis, um, oh, keep watching, keep listening. We love doing Physiology, and always go fish.